Hello and welcome. This is Working Class to World Class. But before we go any further, I do have a little favour of you. If you could hit that follow or subscribe button, then that would be a massive help. Thank you. In this episode, I'm catching up with a remarkable guy who has a brilliant story to tell. Picture the scene. You lead a life that's pretty comfortable. And then one day, with a flick of a switch, it goes away and you have nothing. He went into deep poverty, but despite living a really tough existence, he knew that there was always a spark of hope, there was always a pathway to success, you just had to find it, and boy he did. He is now the founder of one of the world's largest sporting platforms in the world, in actual fact it is the largest in Asia. He runs the TV show The Apprentice, and he is a real personality, top guy that always embraces life, and that never forgets where you came from. Breaking through the barriers of adversity, I'm Lynn Lester, and this is Working Class to World Class. So, Chatri, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the episode today. So, thank you for making the time, which I think is your evening, isn't it? Where are you based? I'm in Singapore. It's about 10 p.m. right now. Oh, wow. I'm so jealous. Singapore is one of my favorite places in the world. I, I love to go. Oh, definitely. My, I'm not originally from Singapore, but uh, it's definitely one of my favorite countries in, wow. in the whole world. It's stunning. I, I remember going years ago when I went for like one day in this trip. And then through work, I've managed to go so many times. I've made a lot of friends. It's just, it's gorgeous and it's clean. And yes, generally yes. when I go, it does rain. <laughs> uh, well, you, then you... Then you got to go uh, outside of monsoon season. Monsoon season is usually May to like August, September. Um, but but beyond that, you always have, well, if you like tropical weather. I love tropical hot weather. So it's my thing. Me too. Well, being in Glasgow, I don't have the luxury and it's very cold <laughs> today. <laughs> so thank you, as I say, for, for being on this episode. And, you know, I was really excited to, to chat with you because... What I'm really keen in this series is that we get perspectives from all over the world. So the first couple of interviews I did were people from Glasgow. And then people assumed it was a Glasgow podcast. I'm like, no, honestly, that was just a flick at the beginning. (laughs) So for anyone tuning in that doesn't know who you are, could you just sort of give a brief overview of of who you are and what you do? Uh, Sure. I think the the best way to describe myself is, is I'm a lifelong martial artist and an entrepreneur. And I'm also the founder and CEO of One Championship, which is uh, Asia's largest global sports media property. So if you think about North America has NBA, Major League Baseball, uh, and the like, Europe has EPL, Champions League, uh, F1. Of course, these are all different sports. Asia is one. We are the largest, and we celebrate martial arts the very best world championship martial artist. So just think of it as F1 has the best drivers or NBA has the best basketball players. Uh, and they hold these tournaments and they broadcast around the world. Today we're broadcasting 154 countries uh, every week. Wow, that's a pretty big deal. And so one thing I didn't tell you before this, so I used to do martial arts. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Years okay. ago. There you go. I know I just, I, I, look, I don't look as if I do, but the, uh, yeah, I was a third Dan black belt in Shotokan Karate. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So you did dedicate a serious amount of your time. Yeah, years and oh, wow. years to the point where my black belt now is frayed. Do you know when you pull it so many yeah. times? Wow. It's, it's partially gray and black. So Amazing. I'll have to take a picture wow. and send it to you. 
So um, yeah, it was certainly something I loved doing for the years. But we're going to hear your story now because, yes. you know, you obviously get into this and this has become a way of life for you. And, and I totally get that having done it. So let's go back before you were this amazing entrepreneur. I know you've been on TV as well. So we'll talk about that. But let's start from from the beginning, I guess, where it all began. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Thailand. Uh, my mother is Japanese and my father is Thai. I grew up in Thailand. And, you know, um, the large part of my childhood was blessed uh, in, in a well-to-do home, a lot of love. And, and I just have incredible, happy memories from my childhood. Um, unfortunately, um, years before the Asian financial crisis struck, my father ended up going bankrupt and literally lost the home and, and our car and then eventually abandoned the family. Um, and so from we went from well-to-do to literally um, struggling for the next day's meal. Um, and, you know, my mother um, was a homemaker, um, didn't have a job, never had a job. And she really didn't know what to do because, you know, in Asia, at least in my parents' generation, um, there's almost like an unspoken contract. The husband goes out and finds the money. The wife stays home and raises the kids. Um, and that contract was broken when my father lost everything and abandoned the family. Um, literally, he just walked away one day and just never came back home. And, um, you know, I, up until that point, I'd never seen my mom cry. And, uh, you know, um, watching her... Um, just cry hopelessly, you know, sobbing in tears and, you know, broke my heart in a million pieces. And I just, um, I'll never forget it, you know, and, and there we were left with literally nothing. Um, it was, uh, it was a very, 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 very dark, dark time uh, in our lives. My goodness, it sounds horrific. And I mean, how old were you? Because it sounds as if you can remember that vividly. Yeah, no, no, this is, I was already, you know, uh, uh, you know, a young adult already. So I wasn't, I wasn't a, a, a child per se, but um, again, uh, Asian culture is a little bit different than Western culture where, uh, you know, the parents are, are, the children are expected to take care of the parents once they're of age. And, and uh, as opposed to, I think Western culture, your parents retire and then take care of themselves. Um, so there's this whole dynamic of where you're supposed to be a cohesive family um, and living together and all that. And, and, um, uh, it just, um, I guess I was still in that mode of, you know, my parents are there as my support in my life, you know, uh, um, that I could call upon them whenever I need them and, 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 uh, you know, ask for advice or whatnot. And, uh, all that was taken away and I had to become the man of the house, um, so to speak. And, um, it was uh, very sudden. I think that was probably the, the most shocking thing. And the fact that my mom and my younger brother were essentially helpless. I mean, uh, the, literally. Um, and my mother, um, I guess it's one of these things is when you... I never was a stellar student ever in my, you know, growing up as a kid. And I was always a mediocre student, probably bottom one third of my class. Um, and at that moment, my mom said, you know, you're the oldest son. Um, why don't you go to America or go back to America and and um, figure things out and try to bring the whole family out of poverty? And uh, I thought that was a, a crazy idea by my mom at the time because I just returned home from America. 
uh, and then again, uh, that I didn't know that my family was going to go bankrupt at that point and 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 uh, um, just lose everything, right? Um, and my mom had this crazy idea. She said, "Chachu, why don't you um, apply uh, to Harvard?" And because um, I heard that was a great school, that's what my mom said, literally. And you know, if you can get in Harvard, then you'll have graduate from Harvard, and you'll have a good job. And I thought, mom, that's a a crazy. I didn't. I didn't want to say stupid. That's a crazy idea. I remember because a I I wasn't smart enough to get in, and and b even if I got in, we, we didn't have any money uh, to pay for school fees or living expenses or even books for that matter. Um, and uh, it's funny because all of my life, my mom ever since I was a little boy, even like five years old, my mom. I remember just saying, my mom always said to me, Chachra, you're gonna grow up to help people." She just, that was her thing with me. She said, you're, you're going to grow up to help people, Chachri. She always said, of course, every mother says this, you're a special boy and you're going to grow up to help them. But I don't know why she always said that to me. And at that moment, you know, watching my mother cry and those words were echoing, um, you know, that I'm, I'm here to help. And I'm going to help my family the first thing. So um, long story cut short, I, I did get into Harvard by complete fluke. Um, genuinely, it's, I believe it to this day, it's, it's by pure luck. I roll forward, I fly to Harvard with $1,000 in my pocket. I have one suitcase with all of my life's belongings. And I have to figure out when I land, how I'm going to pay for school, how I'm going to pay for books, how I'm going to pay for living expenses. Um, and I remember in the first week of, of orientation, how intimidated by what I was by everybody, because I was like, first of all, I've never been that smart my whole life. And I'm sure all these people are very smart. And second of all, I didn't, I don't know, I was embarrassed of, of my family background, my parents and Everything was just fresh and raw. And I was just kind of like, I don't know, insecure of my, the fact that I wasn't well-to-do, the, the fact that I was probably the poorest kid, actually I was the poorest kid, you know, in my class. And, um, you know, I, I quickly was very lucky. Uh, you know, I taught Muay Thai, so rolled back a, a few years before that, or many years before that. I was very fortunate in that I started learning martial arts when I was 13 years old. And it's something that I did all of my life, um, you know, as a student, a competitor, a teacher, a coach, et cetera. And so when I did go to the States and I was at Harvard, I taught Muay Thai, which is the national uh, martial art of Thailand. Um, I took out loans. I, I was also a tutor uh, at Kaplan, which is this tutoring uh, um, um, uh, business that, you know, they hire tutors to, to, to help students and stuff. I did all sorts of odd jobs. Um, and eventually my mom, because she knew where to live, came to live with me in my dorm room, unbeknownst to the school. So I was living in a tiny little single dorm room and my mom slept on the bed, I slept on the floor. And I, when I look back on it now, I'm like, that's crazy because I could have, if the school found out, I, I probably would have gotten expelled or something. But my mom literally had nowhere to go. And, and, and you know, it was in my dorm room or nowhere else. And and I was, so it was a crazy, crazy time, you know, and every, and I remember I, I created a spreadsheet because I had to, it was just for survival of all of my daily expenses. And every day I try to beat this number $4 because my $4, I knew I could last with my work and my loans that, you know, I could last, you know, a, a month or two months at a time and, and figure out how I was going to raise the rest of the money. Um, and the days that I would come in at like $2.67 because I, you know, didn't go to the subway, didn't use the bus, didn't um, 
literally uh, no trains, nothing. I would literally walk everywhere um, because, you know, at the time the subway was a dollar and I was, I had to be restricted to $4, including food, including everything. Right. Um, and the days I would at $2.67 or $2.80, I'd just be ecstatic because I, I saved a buck. And so it became a challenge for myself in this Excel spreadsheet of beating this number. I mean, it sounds so, when I look back on it, again, looking back at everything, it just sounds um, um, so crazy to me that 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 I was in that situation. But at the same time, when I look back at my life, I'm truly full of gratitude for those days of struggle because they taught me so much about myself, but about the world, about family, about love, um, and to this day, I'm very grateful for those lessons. And I, I really try to look back and, and like, without my mother's love, without my mother's belief in me, I, I would never have gotten even the idea of going to America to study or even um, to be where I am today. Um, because at that time, I had literally no belief in myself. I, I, I didn't believe that I could graduate. And so I was really afraid of, of loans because if I had loans and I got let's say academically, I wasn't able to graduate, then I'd be saddled with these school loans, right? Um, so I, I had a lot of fears, doubts, and insecurities about myself. Um, but you know that saying that when someone loves you, it gives you um, uh, uh, strength. If you love someone, it gives you courage. And it's a very powerful thing, right? If, if someone loves you and they believe in you, it, 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 it fortifies who you are because you know someone loves you. At the same time, if you love someone, you're vulnerable. So you have to have courage, right? So, you know, things like that, there's incredible things like that. And even my um, my father, um, when he passed away several years ago, um, let me rewind. I hadn't seen my father in decades um, ever since he left. Around 2015, I went to go search for him um, because I just, I don't know, I wanted to find out why did he abandon the family. I, I had a lot of questions and I, and I held on to a lot of anger for many, many years. And I, I found him through, you know, through relatives. I, I found him and, and he was living alone and he was dirt, dirt poor still. And we went out to dinner. It was awkward. But I asked him, you know, why did you throw us away? And again, this comes down to a whole Asian philosophy. You know, my father is a very was a very proud Asian man. And the fact that he couldn't put food on the table for his own wife and kids killed him. I mean, just wrecked him inside. That it was much easier for him to just abandon the whole thing and run, as opposed to in my version at the time when I was a kid th thinking to myself like hey he threw us away but in actuality he was going through his own demons if you will of not being able to provide and, and how it made him feel a a as a person and that it was just much easier to escape everything you know and I I remember feeling uh sadness for him and and and, and I also really felt deep empathy which I hadn't felt I'd always had anger because of he left us and things turned out okay but it could have turned out very very badly for my mom and for myself and my younger brother um and uh 
So a few years ago, my father passed away, and um, I was at his funeral. I gave I, I gave the eulogy, and after and we cremated him because he's Buddhist. We cremated him, and uh, I just came back and I just started reflecting on the on, on the flight that all the I'd rather not remember my father for all the bad things he did to me, but I'd rather remember all the good. And this is something my days of struggle taught me. So when I was going through all this difficult time, my mom would live in the dorm room, we're eating one meal a day. And, you know, it was crazy. My mom, I would be kind of complaining. Mom, I can't believe how bad our luck is. And my mom would teach me, Chatri, we have a bed and a little dorm room we can sleep in. We have a meal a day. Imagine if we didn't have a bed. Imagine if we didn't have a meal. Where would we be? And, you know, she changed my, and that experience reshaped my, my, uh, my mind to be more grateful, to count my blessings, no matter what I'm, where I am at li in life, because it's so easy to complain about your situation, no matter what your situation is. And most often people look at what they don't have in their life instead of what they really have. And uh, this is something, again, that's why those days of struggle in poverty really taught me that. And to this day, I hold gratitude for all and count all my blessings as it's my, whenever I find myself complaining about anything, I go straight to gratitude, right away, it's automatic. I go straight to gratitude, count my blessings um, so that I never am in this negative state of mind. And, you know, that's what, my struggle gave me those days of struggle. And, and also it taught me about real love. You know, my mother, it taught me, it gave me a fire in my belly. I'd never even knew that I could have this much fire and this much um, that I was unbreakable. You know, martial arts teaches you, as you know, as a lifelong martial artist, it teaches you to be unbreakable. See, people think that martial arts is violence. Let's say people don't, understand actually through thousands of hours of training and years and years and years of training you inherit integrity humility honor respect courage discipline compassion you develop an unbreakable warrior spirit to conquer adversity in life you know martial arts give you so many beautiful lessons and, and values and i don't know i feel like that you know i had, on one hand i had the love of my mother on the other hand my martial arts training and i feel that is what got me out of poverty um and, and allowed me to 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 find direction and, and move past um but you know it, it was some very 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 dark days and um again watching your mother cry and i remember i learned a lot from my mother too we were we were in the dorm room and it was i don't know 11 p.m at night or whatever midnight and we we're just going to go to sleep and i remember the lights were off i was sleeping on the floor my mom's in the bed and we we're just talking and my mom's like you know when we get through all this, you know, I want to live in New York City. And I think to myself, how can my mom even think of that? New York City is the most expensive city in the world. And here we are living on $4 a day. Like, how? why would she even, you know, say these things? And now I look back on it. By being a dreamer and by being hopeful, injecting your life with hope, it gives you fight for another day and that was what my mom was doing to me you know again as an 
I didn't know at the time, but I could tell. Um, but uh, so, I mean, that's in a nutshell, you know, traveling through some some very tough days to get to where I am today. I mean, there's, I can go on and on, but I, I, that's a short story, short version. Wow. I mean, I, I think that's probably one of the most remarkable stories I've heard, to be honest. And your mum sounds like just a wonderful person, actually, because, you know, you're right. She was upset and through the most harrowing, probably stressful testing times of her life. And actually, in terms of, you know, having to rely on her son, that must have been really, really hard for her. So the fact that she could still inject that hope and what could be because it's not over till it's over. I, I always think about it like when you buy a lottery ticket or you, yeah. you're nominated for an award, until you lose, you've won. It's not over till <laughs> it's over, you know. And I think you just yeah. your mom probably stirred that and said, Did she give you the fire in your belly? But by the sounds yeah. of it, she does sound yeah. amazing. And one question I had was when you met your dad, and that, that must have been really hard when you, you sort of rekindled that relationship to an extent. Did you forgive him? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, it, I, I thought we had many years left to. So I don't want to sugarcoat things that I that, you know, after one day and everything made up. But um, I did come to a deeper understanding and I forgave him. He did come to visit me in Singapore um, for a few days after that. You know, like, I mean, uh, and but I, the saddest part was I thought we had time, but actually we didn't. Uh, he ended up getting a stroke and eventually passed away. But um, that's another thing that, that I learned about life, you know. And, and so when I was reflecting on the flight back home after my father's funeral, I tried to took everything that bad happened and I tried to take all the beautiful lessons. So I said, Dad, and I was, you know, speaking to him, you know, and I said, Dad, you know, um, thank you for abandoning the family You, you because of what you did. And I know you, you you did it for your personal reasons, but because of that, you know, I have fire in my belly. Because of that, I have gratitude. Um, because of that, I have a warrior spirit. Because of that, I have confidence in myself. Um, and it's kind of perverse because you would think, well, no. But, it, but at the same time, I've learned in life, you know, there are good things and there are bad things that happen. But you don't really know if they're good or bad at that moment until years later you you realize that was actually a wonderful lesson or that was a terrible person or this was you don't understand things necessarily in the moment um there's a really um fun chinese proverb story that goes something like this you know a, a little boy is born in a village and immediately everyone in the village realizes he has talent for riding horses um, at five years old, he could ride a horse. And everybody in the village said, wow, you're so lucky. And the wise monk in the village said, we shall see. And everyone's looking at him, what? Anyways, he ends up riding to the 16, and he's looking like he's going to be a national champion. And everyone's like, you're so lucky. He falls off his horse and breaks his back and ends up being paralyzed. So everyone in the village goes, oh, my goodness, you're so unlucky. And the wise monk says, we shall see. Years later, a war breaks out and all men in that village have to go to war and fight. Because he's paralyzed, he cannot go. All the men go and end up getting killed. And the wise monk and you know all the ladies in the village are saying, wow, he's so lucky. And the wise man says, we shall see. The point being that at every given point in time when something good or bad happens, 
you have to see whether it's actually a positive or negative. Um, and that's a, a that, that's a big lesson I learned. Like I would not take back in any way my days of struggling poverty. I'm truly grateful for it. And I would do it over again, you know, in, in, in a heartbeat. Um, and in terms of my father, you know, I could have held on to bitterness and focused on all the negative, but through meeting him and through just my life experiences, I realized, no, I'm going to look at him and remember him for all the good that he did. He named me my name, Chatri, which means warrior in the Thai language. And who would have known that my life would turn out this way? I'm running the largest martial arts organization in the world. And, you know, and when I was nine years old, he took me to Lumpini Stadium, which is the Mecca of Muay Thai. Um, you know, and I remember walking as a nine-year-old kid, fight night, and, you know, thousands of people screaming and chanting. And the athletes, you know, were graceful, powerful, and just, it was, it was a thing of beauty. And I remember being electrified. He took me when I was 13 years old to start Muay Thai. So when I look at that and I realize that's what my father gave me. Yes, he did some um, not so right things to the family, but, you know, we all come from our own perspectives. And, and so I've come to learn that my father was suffering and that's why he left. He couldn't bear to see his kids or his wife not being able to eat. He couldn't bear to see them. And you can say that's selfish or not, whatever it is, but we all deal with bad things in our life in in different ways. I mean, every every human being is different, right? And I'm sure, and I'm because I met when I when I went for lunch uh, for, for dinner, I could see the pain, I could see the regret for his life choices. Um when I first saw him, you know, I hadn't seen him in many years. He was old and frail, nothing like what I remember when I was a kid. You know, he was strong and, and vibrant and he was old and frail and he was defeated. He was defeated by life, by, by life but also by his choices, um, such that he was just a, a shell of a person that he used to be. And that also taught me a lot as well. Even that taught me, like, we are the consequences of our actions and our decisions and what we do matters it, it will come back everything we do and um so you know again like i've been dirt poor and i've been fortunate to be wealthy i've seen both sides of the spectrum at extremes and i learned a lot of lessons as a result about life and yeah just a lot of things so i'm grateful again for all, all the experiences amazing i mean i think I mean, it's I just kind of don't know what to say, to be honest, because, you know, you've seen, you, you've almost lived the rags to riches story as you've went through your life. You know, you've been at the bottom and you've been riding the wave and, and the high. And, you know, the one thing that you said, which I really understand, is about the, the whole spirited nature of martial arts. So I remember as a child, I got quite bullied at school. And I remember getting into martial arts, not to defend myself necessarily, but it was to have a sense of belonging somewhere amongst people that were just nice people. And so I used to feel the safest when I was getting a controlled beating because they were never out to hurt me. They were out to make me better. Um, and we, we we shared that sort of united spirit and being together. So I understand that. And, and to me, it sounds as though your dad really influenced that life on you because he took you to that one 
tournament and you got to see it and, and, and you lived it and you breathed it and then you became it. So, you know, whilst you're right, all the, the kind of negative stuff, actually, as you're saying, if you take the positives out of it, your dad actually had a real footprint in your life. Yeah, yeah, no, that, 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 that's exactly it. Like you see, again, I could look only at the wrong things he did, but I choose to remember all the wonderful things he did and and be full of gratitude and appreciation for all those wonderful things because, and they far outweigh any of the wrong that he did. When, again, when I look in totality, um, and, and that's something I didn't have, you know, for many, 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 many years, I, w- I was... I had a lot of anger in me, um, but meeting him, even though we didn't reconcile all the way, um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, after he passed, it really gave me perspective and what I want to remember, what I want to hold on to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as you said, it's about time. It's never a gift. You just, well, it is a gift because you don't know when you're not going to have it. And so, so then, you know, if we take you to the point where your mom was staying with you in your tiny little room and the one bed and the $4 a day, which obviously now had to do two of you. As yeah. well. so it wasn't just you, it was it was two yeah. of you. So you, you were learning, I guess, from quite a young age how to cut your cloth accordingly and you couldn't spend what you had. I mean, did you ever, in the back of your mind, ever think at any point you might have to resort to crime or thieving or, or was that a never, never a thing that would ever have happened? I think if I had no other means of income, it was that level. Because remember, I was teaching Muay Thai for money. If I didn't have that skill set, I wonder, what, you know, but again, I was doing every kind of odd job possible. So it was never got to that point where I'm like, you know, I have to go do something bad because I always had a minimal skill to to, to fall upon. And because I was at Harvard, I, you know, when I was at this tutoring company called Kaplan, I was tutoring students who wanted to come, who wanted to apply and get into Harvard. So I used everything that I had to my greatest advantage, meaning that whatever asset I had physically on me, you know, whatever it was, I would just use that to try to monetize, even um, delivering food, you know, right on, on a bicycle. Like just at that time, it was like not about, It was not about um, going down a, a bad path. It was about, I was very blessed to have a lot of things, yeah, even though, yes, it was still a, a massive struggle, but there was a path. You see, when there's a path, no matter how small the path is, there's a path. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the thing is as well, if we're being honest, you, you were at Harvard. So so there, that was a, a big opening right there, should you get it yeah. right. Yeah. So so did you then, what were you studying? Like, and, and what were your kind of grades? So uh, I studied business and uh, um, I actually ended up doing fairly well. Like, And that was a big surprise for me, right? Um, yeah, it was it was it, it was a very big surprise. I yeah, I did I did fairly well. I mean, I was I don't know top fifteen percent, top ten percent of the class, something like that. I I can't remember, but it, I was definitely um, that's another chip on my shoulder that I kind of erased. You know, I again I growing up I I was such a a, a rebel or such a a naughty kid. Like I would play sports and 
pull pranks at school, get suspended, get put in the principal's office, get detention. A lot of naughty things that I never studied. And so I never knew if I was smart or not, but I would get bad grades, right? And so I always thought, oh, well, I'm not very bright. Now, again, that's what I'm saying. I'm so grateful for my days in part because when you're, when you have no option and you're like, this is it, you will do everything and all this greatness in you comes out. And that's why I always say to people, suffering is the path to our greatness, every single human being. So if you are going through the fire, keep going. And, and I always say this to, 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 to people, you know, it's like a clay pot. You know, a clay pot is just a clay pot until it feels the fire of the furnace. Does it become porcelain? And we are all clay pots sitting in the sun right now. And if you get a chance to go through the fire, embrace it and love it and learn it and live it. And, and it's going to be, I truly believe suffering it is the greatest path is the path, sorry, to our greatness. We just don't know it at the time. And so if you look at any success story, all over the world, doesn't matter what industry, what job, anybody, personal, professional, actually, it always comes with dreams and hope and hard work and sacrifice. But what people don't tell you, it also comes with tears, adversity, setbacks, uh, heartache, failure. Um, it's all part of the same coin. And that is, again, when I look back on everything, I'm, I'm truly just, again, I wouldn't be who I am today if I had not gone through all that. Yeah, I, I mean, adversity does make us. I believe that as well. You know, it's all about, because, you you know, it's, it's almost like you can't, be, you can't be what you can't see, but equally, you don't understand it if you haven't lived it. So to have both sides of the coin and, and living, I guess, that sort of, not a dual life, but you know, experiencing both both sides of it, I think yeah. is really powerful for any human being. And and do you think, like, obviously, Harvard? I mean, this is the key word here because because when people hear that, they'll be like, "Wow, like that's like if 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 you do well, you're probably set up quite well for life." But did you do you think you would be where you are now if you didn't get into Harvard? And and also, how did you get in? Did you have the grades to get in? Um. Of course, I think it helped tremendously, right? I mean, um, so my mom's game plan, if you will, of the impossible odds, it, it ended up playing out. It ended up playing out. How do I get in Harvard? I'm very fortunate that Harvard cares about well-rounded students. So they ask you to write, I think, seven or eight different essays, if I remember correctly, all different parts. They look for leadership. They look for what were extracurricular passions. They look for your life story. They look for a lot of things and obviously the test scores and, and grades. And um, I, I can't say I had the best, uh, you know, grades, but I did have good test scores. And and I did have, I think, um, you know, one essay was, what do you want to do with your life in the future? Another essay is, you know, going through, I don't know, your worst days or whatever. It, I can't remember. But, um, and I spent a lot of time writing about, all the things that were important to me. And I think that must have, I don't know what the admissions directors must have hit a quarter or something. I, I don't know. I mean, um, I do know, again, like I was very lucky that, that, that Harvard doesn't, it's not like, you see in Asia, all the top universities care about a single test score. You come in for a national exam and that's it. That's it. One single score. And that's how you get in. If I'd gone into that system, I definitely wouldn't have. And that's probably why my mom said, 
go, go to America, right? I mean, because well, I don't know if she thought that deeply of it, but but um, in Asia, there's no chance, like zero chance of scoring in, in getting to the top universities, at least when I look back on, on it right now. Yeah, and so if your life up until, you know, you went to Harvard and obviously before your dad left, what was it like then? Was it quite a nice life up until that point yeah. that your dad left? Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I was born into a well-to-do home. Again, I, we had, you know, I never worried about anything and a lot of love in the house and, you know, birthday parties and Christmas and, and, and the, you know, my parents got along amazingly well. There's a lot, a lot of love. I learned a lot about love just watching my parents, they grow, how affectionate they were. Um, and that's why I try not to take negatives. Like you could say, oh, well, the minute, you know, you became poor, your parents went separate ways. So money was the glue. You know, you could, you could take a, a very uh, negative view of that. I don't, I don't, um, because my father, after that dinner, was, you could see, he, he knew he made the big, I mean, the biggest mistake of his life, and he wanted so badly to reconcile with my mother. But by then, too many years, too much damage, and too much pride. That's another thing I learned about. My father was a very prideful man, and too proud to say sorry, too proud to... Again, even when could admit that he couldn't feed his family. If he had been a little less proud, just maybe things would have been different. Um, so I don't my, my story. I don't take away from the story of like oh money ruined it and and or money was the only reason they were to get no. Um, life is rarely black and white, you know. It's and again, like I said, we don't know how we <clears throat> individual respond to something like that until it happens, right? And I would just say, yeah, you know, Asian society is very, it's um, it's very, very tough on, on, on men in that regard. If you can't provide, you know, you're useless because the, con the contract, quote unquote, unspoken contract between man and wife is, is that, is, and actually still goes on in a large part of Asia today. Wow. I mean, you know, it's funny what you, what you were saying there about, you know, you don't know, you know, and you said it earlier as well, you don't know about negativity until you, until you go through it. But then later on, you see it as not, not an advantage, but you see it as molding you as a Positive, person you yeah. become. Yeah. And, the, you know, the one thing I, I always remember, so this is not my story, this is your story, but, you know, years ago when I was only well, 12, my brother died, 16, my mom died, and 19, my dad wow. died. Wow. So within that time, so for me, it was the most horrific point where you could have went one way or other now the reason I bring it up is I wouldn't be doing this podcast I don't believe unless these things had happened to me now I would wish they had never happened of course I do but I can't yeah. change it so it's then how do you change your route in life and you know and, and I think you've illustrated that point you know beautifully and you know for, for you then let, let's get to the the turning point then because obviously you've got your mum staying with you as we say, you're you're trying to make ends meet. So so talk me through wait, when does it start getting good? So when does the excitement start building where you're like, actually, wait a minute, mom, your dreams and my dreams might be coming true. Um, well, the craziest thing was um in my final year, um, one of my best friends approached me and said, Hey, Chatri, 
um, let's start a company together. Let's start a business together. And I said, no way. I, I don't have any money. And, and he was also poor. <laughs> he had no money either. I'm like, we, we cannot make any. Because no, but listen, we can go to Silicon Valley and there's a thing called venture capital where you can go raise money around a business plan and let's go try it. And I said, no, 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 I'm definitely not. Because my mom's plan for me is to graduate and get a good job at a, at a Fortune 500 company, a stable, safe job at a big company. That was literally my my whole mindset. That was the plan that my mother gave me. Um, but he's like, come on, just help me out. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll help the business plan. I'll build a business plan with you. And then... I helped build a business plan. Then he goes, okay, Chachi, let's just join this business plan competition at school. I said, oh, you know, I don't want to. And we went there and did that. And then um, I, I know I got bit by the bug. And at the same time, I was interviewing for jobs. And, and I did get four or five job offers and, and you know, really incredible job offers from great companies. And I was very, very much torn. And um, because I was slowly getting sucked in to entrepreneurship. And and then it was um, our last semester. We flew out to Silicon Valley with the business plan. And I, in my mind, I'm like, this is the craziest thing because I'm not going to become an entrepreneur. I'm not. Long story cut short, um, an angel investor, we didn't get venture capital at that time, but in our last semester, an angel investor gave us half a million dollars to start a company. And I, I mean, half a million dollars is a lot of money. Um, but of course, it's very little money in the, in the grand scheme of startups. But so then the choice became, well, do we take the half a million to start this company or do we, you know, take our job? You know, do I take my jobs? In order to save money, we end up going to Silicon Valley. We end up getting a two bedroom apartment. Um, and I couldn't afford a bed and I didn't have the savings for it. So my mother and I slept and sleeping bags in the office and rolled up the sleeping bags during the day. And I had eight employees, eight, you know, we hired eight employees and we wanted to save money. So we didn't want to have to rent a house and your office. Right. So we just did everything in the house. The office was the house. I mean, you know, um, the two bedroom apartment or two bedroom office, if you will. Um, and we ate a dollar 50 frozen meals. You know, those frozen meals you microwave. Um, and it's again, like <laughs> my mom, you know, God bless her that she, at first I'll tell you when I told her mom after graduation, I'm, we're going to go to Silicon Valley and do this thing. She was very upset. She was like, Chatri, no, your father just went bankrupt. You saw yeah. that. Why would you want to start a company? Go, you have these safe job offers, go and get and work and work your way up the ladder. And I don't know something, uh, you know, a, bit me and so um long story cut short three years later and 40 million dollars in venture capital later we had 150 employees and eventually sold the company that was my first taste of being an entrepreneur I made a lot of mistakes too but that experience um i think going back to your original question you know, if, if I'd gone to any other school in the world, I might not have had that credibility to raise, you know, venture capital. Um, so it's just one of those things that you just, uh, again, in hindsight, looking back. But at the same time, I think um, you also have to have guts. It's not just because you have a degree that you can do anything. You still have to have all the other 
right factor. So a degree may um, open a door, but you still have to walk through that door. You know, you still have to do the thing. So, um, but that was my first taste of a little bit of success. And um, I wasn't fabulously wealthy, but I, 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 you know, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about food anymore and all that kind of stuff. And um, I then thought about what do I want to do with my life? So, so I was just saying um, at the time I had um, two real passions growing up. One was obviously martial arts and the other was um, actually interesting or not. Interestingly, was the stock market. I'd never invested in the stock market, but I read a book um, called One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. And that book really, I remember thinking after I read the book, one day I'd love to be able to invest in the stock market. And after my journey as a Silicon Valley entrepreneur was done, I was free to do whatever I wanted to do. And I said, you know what? I want to go um, work on Wall Street and learn how to invest and and and, and invest. And I, long short cut short, I ended up launching my own hedge fund, raised $500 million and um, ran a hedge fund. And so I was investing all over the world, buying and selling companies. Um, I did that for several years. Um, and that's when it really hit me. I had a, a really phenomenal year and I made a lot, a lot of money that year. And I went down to the sushi restaurant nearby the office. And I was on our euphoric high, made a lot of money. And then I just started thinking about my life. Because when I was dirt, dirt poor, I thought if I make a lot of money, a boatload of money, I'll be happy because all your problems will be solved. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, why, why is it that I'm not happy? And, you know, I had all the material things you could want, houses and cars and whatnot and, and, and just material things. And I just was thinking to myself and I was mid thirties and I was like, is this what my life is going to be? Like making, I think it was eight figures income that year. And then thinking about what I'm going to buy, like, is that, and then I grow my hedge fund and it gets to be a billion one day, one year, uh, sorry, it'll eventually be a billion in the future and then 5 billion and 10 billion and it just has more zeros. And then what, what do I buy? You know, and, and I just know, I, I just had this um, epiphany. And the craziest thing is, is my mom's words again echoed that I'm supposed to help people. And I, I asked myself that question, am I helping people? And the answer was, if you're honest with your touch, you raised $500 million from very, very wealthy clients, whether it's family offices or, or institutional investors. And by investing well, I made them richer. But what was my value to the world, to society, to people? So I had many restless nights um, after that, and I decided I'm, I'm going to leave Wall Street. Um, and I spoke to my mother, and my mom was very upset. She's like, Chachi, you, you've taken your wealth for granted. And she's this very conservative Japanese lady. She loved the image of me in a suit and tie going to work at Wall and Wall Street, you know, the whole word. Um, and she, like, in many ways, she gave me amazing intrinsic values and, 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 um, philosophy of how to live my life. But on the other side, she was also a very traditional Japanese lady that she 
She loved the fact that her, her son went to Harvard. She loved the fact that I was, you know, in a suit and tie on Wall Street. And she liked all those externalities. Um, and still does, actually. So she was very against me retiring because she just thought it was a crazy idea. And I said, Mom, the thing that I love most is martial arts. And I want to figure out a way that I can live through martial arts and, and help people. And my mom just thought that is the dumbest thing ever. And I talked to my friends, <laughs> my friends, all my friends, also, um, everybody. Only only one person in my life said you should go ahead and do it. Um, long story cut short, as I said at the top of the call, every region of the world has several multi-billion-dollar sports properties. So you go to North America, it's NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. These are worth tens of billions, seventy to hundred billion dollars. You go to Europe, it's EPL, it's Champions League, it's you know, um, uh, F1. And these are also worth tens of billions of dollars. At the time you want to go to Asia, there's literally nothing, nothing, no sports properties on a pan-Asian or global basis coming out of Asia. And yet, you know, Asia has been the home of martial arts for 5,000 years. So I thought, ah, it's going to be super easy. I'm going to go back to Asia. I'm going to start the first global sports property around Asia's greatest cultural treasure, martial arts. And it'll be easy because I'm a lifelong martial artist. Um, and uh, that's another story, you know? So I, I started, so anyways, long story cut short again, I'll, I'll just truncate it because we have only 30 minutes left. You know, I, I, I picked Singapore because of all those cities I was looking to come back to Asia was either Singapore, uh, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Tokyo and, and and Seoul. Those were the five cities I was, I was seriously considering. And I ended up picking Singapore because of its legal system. You know, it's it's a very, very advanced, sophisticated legal system and cr uh, uh, crime and was is very, very low here. Educational system, outstanding. Healthcare system, world class. The food was amazing. The, the culture, the people of Singapore are unbelievably just warm and kind and, and, and just wonderful people. Um, and I could just see myself living here. And uh, I, I'm so glad I chose the right city because long story cut short, the Singapore government ended up investing in one. And, you know, the first, no, but they didn't, I, <laughs> I gave the short version. The first three years of starting my company was a complete disaster. Every day, failure after failure, rejection after rejection, broadcasters I, I, i'd go to broadcasters and say hey i'd like to do the show on your channel and show they said it's that's a dumb idea asians don't need a sports property we already have champions league on tv or epl on tv or nbn tv we don't need whatever you want to do right i'm like no i went to brands governments investors turned me down they thought it was a dumb idea athletes said that's impossible like you know employees i would give an offer the next day they would say yes, and then they would talk to their parents that same day, and then they would come back and say, sorry, I can't join because it's sports. There's no such thing as sports in Asia as a business. So the first three years was literally like losing tons of money, my own money and my friend's money, getting no again, rejected every day. And it was very bleak. And I, at the end of the third year, I called my mom, and I was literally going to quit. I was within a day of quitting. I said, Mom, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about quitting. It's, it's much harder than I thought. This business is going nowhere. It's not. It's barely on TV, and I'm just losing a lot of money. And there's just no end in sight. 
And my mom said, you see, you should have listened to mommy. I told you, <laughs> really. And then, uh, you know, she said, it was a very short call. She said, Chachi, why don't you just quit then? And then I was taken aback. I thought she would spend an hour convincing me to do follow my passion and live my dreams and all this stuff. And I hung up the phone and I started thinking about, why don't I just quit? And then I just think of why did I start it? Well, martial arts is my greatest passion in life. I truly want to help people. I want I want to unleash these martial arts superstars, these heroes who can live um, inspiring stories of overcoming adversity and tragedy, impossible odds and poverty. Um, you know, uplift humanity through stories and heroes and, and values. And when I started writing down my why, I realized I can't. This is. This is literally what I love and I believe in the purpose, the mission of the company. Because, you know, when I write down the mission, it wasn't about making a lot of money or revenues. It wasn't about fighting. It was about what martial arts meant to me was, you know, how can I show the showcase the beauty of martial arts in the way I know it or and or you know it um, and and show these, again, larger than life heroes, world champions but if you dig in deeper and find out that they were orphans or that they were, um, you know, gone through impossible odds or poverty or whatever it may be, and tell those stories that it would uplift our fans and inspire fans to live their greatest life. That was literally the, the business plan. So in a way, my mom, I guess she knows me so well, she, you know, by her telling me very shortly, why don't you just quit? That actually made me think deeply about why did I start in the first place? And I just couldn't quit. And, and, uh, I'm glad I didn't because literally our viewership metrics, every metric you can you can you can measure literally exploded in year four till to, till we we're about eleven years old. Year four to year four to eleven, the business exploded like went vertical. Um, just and you know we're now Asia's largest billion dollar global sports property. Um, you know, broadcast in 104 countries around the world. Um, Investors have given us some of the smartest institutional investors in the world, like Sequoia Capital, Tamasek, uh, GIC, Qatar Investment Authority, um, you know, Guggenheim, et cetera. They gave us $500 million um, to, 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 you know, build this business. And so um, it's literally one of those stories where you just keep digging, 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 digging. And then there's a diamond at the very end of that, you know, tunnel. If you turn back, you would have missed the diamond, but if you keep on digging, then you suddenly hit diamond. And I had that breakthrough in year four to, to the next seven years after that, the business exploded. And 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 um, today we're the fifth largest sports property in the world in terms of viewership and engagement numbers, according to Nielsen, which is the um, obviously the um, the authority on, on viewership data around the world for the media industry. And uh, I think number four was NBA, I think number three was Champions League and number one was Olympics and stuff. But we we're number five on every metric, on TV viewership, on social, on digital metrics, on all the different platforms. Um, it's It's been a crazy wild ride. Like it just, Nielsen came out with this industry report seven, eight months ago. And they had, you know, the top 20 largest global sports properties. And we knew we were growing exponentially, but we just didn't know how fast or how big we were relative to others. They came out with that report of the top 20 largest and we... Literally, my phone was ringing. We had like, my emails were pinging. People were saying, wow, you're number five in the world. You're number five in the world. And we were all ecstatic. We're number five in the world. Like, wow. Like amongst the, and all these giants 
are 70 to 100 years old, like EPL or NFL, right? Um, and, and uh, you know, I really believe that it's because we got very lucky. Um, if you think about what's happened in the last 11 years um, with the smart mobile device and the explosion of social media that, that connected the whole world. Um, so in year four, and people ask, well, how did you go from year three and, and suddenly explode? In year four, um, I had very little money left in the bank, and I just told everybody, we're going we're gonna to bet the farm on Facebook. We're going to create great video content and just amass fans. And we put out these videos, and it just go viral around the world, and our fan base explode around the world. And then when broadcasters saw these metrics, they were like, okay, well, we'll give you a shot on TV. And our numbers exploded on TV as well. And so suddenly the window to the world became this all over the world and it connected. And so it is the easiest time in history to build a, a global brand from scratch, if you think about it, because of sheer connection through smart mobile devices and social media. And that's why you have individual brands now. You have TikTokers that are one-person content creators that connect the entire world with 100 million followers, right? That's in a, in, in a very extreme version of the beneficiaries of, of this whole digital economy interconnectedness. Um, that being said, we did bet the farm on, on social and digital and mobile. So we, we were lucky to bet it. So we're, we were lucky that the macro fact drivers, we had massive tailwinds, but we were also lucky that we bet the entire company on it. You know, if, if, it, if, if social media and smart mobile devices hadn't taken off, or let's just say when we bet the farm in year four, let's say no one ever did social media and no one ever care about their smart mobile devices, then the company would not be, it would have folded probably in year four or whatever it is. But so um, I always joke around. I don't know if you've ever seen this old movie um, and I don't know how old your viewers are or listeners. This old movie called Forrest Gump about yep. this guy who has just you know kept on running in his life. All these um, wonderful things happening. He's like, I am the Forrest Gump of sports. I never imagined that after only 10 plus years, we would be number five in the world. Um, I just... There's no way I could have even imagined that. Um, and I look, I get these all these metrics every week, you know, across the company. And even to this day, our numbers continue to grow exponentially. It's just, it's now fans just can't get enough of one. Geez, oh, I mean, it's an incredible story. And I think your mom's incredible for sort of teaching you the hard way, you know, and, you know, mm -hmm. she, she knew how you would react. So she, she knew you well yes, better than mom, anyone. Yes. <laughs> and obviously we'll be wrapping up in a wee seconds, but there's a few things I want to ask you. You said that there was one person in your life that told you to pursue your dream of that business. Who was that one yes. person? He's uh, my best friend from Harvard. He and I were the poorest kids. And he's also the vice chairman of, of one championship today. Um, he, um, yeah, he just, uh, he just, he knew how crazy I was about martial arts. He just believed in me. And, and um, that's what I mean. It, it, the power of words and the power of belief to your loved ones, never underestimate what you say to your friends and family because just one sentence can set a fire off and they could be living their dreams because you said something. Um, and, and that is what, you know, Sora Mittal gave me, uh, our vice chairman. Um, or that's what my mom gave me in, in, in those struggling days of poverty. Or even as a child, when I was five years old, she said, I'm gonna, you're going to grow up to, to help people. So now, um, 
I look at my life and I, my heroes have inspired the world. I have fans all over telling me about their own adversities or, or tragedies and how, you know, every Friday they get to escape their problems and, and, and watch our heroes in action or, or learn about their life stories and give them strength or inspiration for their own life. And um, probably one of the most powerful stories um, I can share with you is, is, you know, people come up to me and say, yo, Aoshachi, you must be so happy and thrilled. You're so successful. I mean, one chapter is so successful. And I go, no, it's actually, I don't even ever think about the numbers. It's not about that. For me, it's something I could never have gotten in any other career if I had chosen. Is In 2016, I returned home to Thailand for the first time in many, many, many years. Because when I left Thailand, I never thought I was ever going to come back. I left in poverty, shame, and embarrassment, and sadness. And I came back because we were going to throw our first event in Thailand. And that whole week was insane because I, I had tons of media interviews. And at first I was, you know, do I tell them about my, my life story? Because I'm embarrassed. I'm, I left and, you know, I don't come from a good family background. And it just, and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm just going to tell everything like it is. And for whatever reason, the media loved it. And, and, and my story, a few big, big broadcasters just a piece of my story, of, of my story and it just, went viral and, and and I remember that night um the night of the event I'm sitting there and I'm looking in all of the stadium thousands of screaming fans and it was just the magic of of bringing me back to when I was nine except a much bigger scale right this is a global broadcast around the world and then from the corner of my eye a lady comes running to me and she's clearly holding on to two two little girls I don't know maybe eight years old nine years old and the mother comes running up to me and says you know you know Sir, sir, can we have your photo photograph? And at that time, I was used to it because one champion was growing so fast, and fans would come up to me all the time. And I said, of course, of course. But then I just thought you know, that's very odd that this lady and her two daughters are here because that's not the typical profile. And so I just asked the mom, and and you know, hey, how did you hear about one champion? Or or, or or are you guys doing martial arts? And no, no, we um, don't know anything about one championship. We don't know anything about martial arts. We saw your um, story in one of the documentary series that that uh, you know a certain channel did on your life. I'm a single mother and I'm struggling and I want my daughters to meet you because I want them to know everything's going to be okay. And I had tears in my eyes and I kneeled down and I, I grabbed the daughters and I hugged the daughters and, you know, I gave them advice about dreaming big and working hard and, and, and loving each other and protecting each other. And I hugged the mom and, and, you know, um, and then they, you know, went away into the show and they, moved me and inspired me and made me realize that my mission in life to help others, that my company of unleashing real life superheroes who ignite the world with hope, strength, dreams, and inspiration. And the, my own life journey, I didn't at that, I, until that point, up until that week, I didn't know that my own life journey would be useful to somebody else. I was always, always this embarrassment about my life story that I didn't want to tell people. And now I, I talk about freely because I don't know, there could be some person who's in a really difficult situation. They just need to hear this and they, they're going to fight for another day or they're going to get inspired to take action. Yeah. Um, and so my life came full circle, you know, it's just so crazy. And now it's just blowing up all over the world. It's like, 
I just came back from a 40-day trip around the world to visit all of our broadcast partners, our clients and whatnot across Asia, Middle East, Europe, US. And I just was sitting there in New York City um, thinking about how my life is just once upon a time, you know, many, many years ago, it's just like all a dream. And, and that somehow now I've built this global company that's inspiring millions of fans all over the world to live their greatest life. And it just, I don't know, it just, for me, my life has come full circle in so many ways. Well, you're just the example of it can be done. And, you know, you were saying you've got, you know, you've got houses and you've got cars and you've got wealth and, and you know, everything's great. But I bet you nothing felt as good as it did when you bought that first bed when you were lying on the floor. I bet <laughs> that must have been well, a dream purchase. Well, yeah. yeah well, actually, um, I, after I left Wall Street, I became a minimalist. Um, I don't know that 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 lunch taught me everything about um, what I want in my life and what I didn't want in life. So I have one car, a Toyota. I have a uh, one watch, a, a G-Shock watch, Casio. I don't believe in material things. Um, I don't believe in extrinsic things. I believe that everything in life begins with what's in our souls. And my life experiences have taught me that I, I never want to attach my happiness or my sense of well-being to material things that can disappear in, in, in a heartbeat, like my what happened with my father, my family. Um, and I had to go through that, you know, poverty, then having it on Wall Street, because I thought naively when I was in poverty that if I made a lot of money, I'd be very happy. Then I thought, I buy a lot of things, I'll be happy. But you know why people buy a lot of things? I've concluded it's to fill a void in your heart. When you have a void, you, you have this urge to buy things, to fill a void. But if you truly are content and fulfilled with who you are and what you're doing with your life, it becomes intrinsic. You don't care about all these things because you – you and there's nothing wrong with having fancy things. I, I, I don't um, – I have a lot of friends who love fancy things and material things. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, I don't know, through my life, I've, I just feel there's deeper meaning – and I try to live my life with passion and purpose every day and do what I love such that, you know, at the end of the day, all of us, um, we leave this earth. And I've narrowed down at least my life purpose. It comes down to two things. One is the only thing that matters is the love I share with my friends and my family. Um, and if I'm lucky, you know, my community and whatnot. And second, equally important, is impact. The, the impact I make on my family, my friends, my community, my country, and the world now with one, those are the only two things that will last after I pass away. And that's how I want to live my life. It's not about how many cars I have or this. It's, that's not. And so I really do try to stay on this minimalist path uh, because it, it keeps me focused on what means a lot, what, what, sorry, what's meaningful in life and not get distracted by, um, you know, um, things that society calls, um, uh, I guess, symbols of success, right? Having a Ferrari or a Mercedes is a symbol of success. Like, I, I don't buy into that. I, I believe that if you're truly successful, and I'm not talking about money. If you're truly fulfilled in what you do and you're truly happy inside, 
you, you, you're, you're with the love of your life. You have a beautiful family and you're truly living with passion and purpose with your work. It really doesn't matter if you have a dollar in the bank or you have, you know, a million in the bank or whatever number it is. It, what matters is the intrinsic stuff. And that's what I've learned on my journey. Well, I couldn't have put it better myself. Actually, the other day I did actually say something like, oh, I can't afford that. And someone said to me, but you can. And I went, no. Well, I was like, well, yeah, I could, but I choose not to have it. So it's different. So I, I am with you on that, that journey. Now, we're obviously wrapping up now. And because, you know, you, you know, I wanted to talk about lots of other things, like you've been on The Apprentice and whatever, but I'm sure, like, can you tell us very briefly what that must have been like? Sure. So uh, last year, um, I became the host of the first uh, global edition of The Apprentice, uh, aired on Netflix around the world and and uh, in the U.S. and Canada is on Amazon Prime. And um, I don't like to, because I'm 180 degrees opposite of what Donald Trump was when he did The Apprentice <laughs> in America, right? Um, in, in how I live my life and my values. Um, I did the show because I thought it was one more way that we could reach fans, that we could tell a story, that we could introduce our brand without any flying kicks, because people have the misconception that martial arts is violence. And so we thought if we can do general entertainment con, so when this opportunity fell in my lap, I thought for a second, should I do it or should I not do it? I thought, well, this is general entertainment. There is a lot of, um, if you watch a show, and I'm sure it's available. It is available. I don't know. Maybe in Scotland. I don't. I don't know. In UK, it's not because um, Lord Alan Sugar is 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 has the has the Apprentice for the UK version. So I don't know um, exactly, but it, how it works, uh, you know, in, in Scotland, um, maybe there is. Maybe there. Is, I don't. I don't know. Is Lord Alan Sugar in Scotland too, or no? Well, that's part of the UK. So yeah, yeah, part yeah. Of that. Yeah, but you can yeah. send me a little clip and I'll have a look. Yeah, no, no. I, I know Scotland's part of the UK, but I didn't know whether may, maybe there was a separate deal. I, I have no idea. So, so, so I, I didn't know. So, <laughs> uh, so you know who, who Lord Alan Sugar is? Yes, uh huh. I do. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, that um, long story cut short, it's, it's, it's all over the world. And it was a crazy experience because um, I don't know. I just. Uh, I never thought I would do something like that, but I also felt like it was important for the for the brand, and again, storytelling. At the end of the day, yeah, wow. So. Well, you have led a remarkable life. I think it's pretty fair to say that. I'm going to finish up by impressing you, so I can count to ten in Japanese. So through my martial arts, see if I do it well. So ishini sangshi go rokushi shihashiku ju. Yes, wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for inspiring people with your story. You know, you are an inspiration and I'm sure lots of people really appreciate you being so candid and really open and, you know, I wish you well. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate, I appreciate everything. Thank you. Thank you.